Welcome to the Now You Know Akron podcast, brought to you by the journalists of BeaconJournal.com. Each week, they will share their expertise on Akron and Summit County. Now, here's your host, Craig Webb. Thanks for joining us for the Now You Know Akron podcast. I'm your host, Craig Webb. Our spotlight topic for today's podcast will be the Akron's Interbelt, the highway to nowhere, its future and its past, taking a look at what it took to build this and what cost it was for the city and some of its residents. But first, here's three things you should know from recent headlines on BeaconJournal.com. You can't avoid it. The weather, it's a great equalizer in life. We certainly had our fair share of rough weather lately with cold temperatures and tons of snow. We continue to cover the weather and its impacts that last for days for some Akron residents who who are still digging out from one storm when another storm comes along. Our reporters are taking a look at what it's taking to clear the streets and what the future holds for snow plowing in the region. The sports writers at the Beacon Journal continue to take a look at the consternation that having a certain team from down south making the Super Bowl has for the Browns and the Browns fans, and that certain guy named OBJ playing for the Rams. They'll continue to cover the Super Bowl as it gets closer and what implications it could have for the Browns and the future of the club in Cleveland. And lastly, if you're anything like me, sometimes you use those cash apps to pay a bill for a daughter or a son or just simply exchange money on behalf of maybe, I don't know, buying a moped or even a pizza. We'll talk about the tax implications you could have this year thanks to new changes in tax law involving these transactions. For more on these stories and others, we can always turn to TheBeaconJournal.com and all our various apps. They're updated headlines and subscriber-exclusive content that you simply cannot find anywhere else. And now it's time for today's spotlight topic, and one I'm kind of interested in because as a suburbanite who drives through Akron and drives the inner belt, I've always been a little puzzled by it. Although it is nice to get to basketball games, CYO basketball games, by trying to get across town. So I, I'm, I, I will be fascinated to hear kind of history a little bit and, and about um, kind of the thought of process went into maybe when it was built originally. So we're joined by Pastor Gregory Harrison and also Shema Barham, who is writing about this. And, and so Shema, we'll start with you to, to give a little little background and, and talk a little bit about what, what you're working on. Sure. Um, thank you, Craig. So um, I wrote a story about the legacies of the Akron Inner Belt, um, a highway that, as you know, was never fully completed, but displaced many black families in Akron, um, shuttered many uh, black-owned businesses, and pushed um, hundreds of families off the path to generational wealth. We don't have a complete number of how many people were displaced or how many buildings were destroyed, um, but we do know that at least 737 households were displaced, according to municipal records. Um, and we know that the majority of those displaced by the highway and other urban renewal projects of the era uh, were black families. So, um, you know, the first part of my story delves into how the construction of the highway decimated people's wealth from declining property values for those whose homes were not seized by city officials to make way for the road um, to how uh, you had this generation of black families, including former homeowners ending up becoming stuck in public housing developments. Um, I also explore how racist housing and planning policies of the era led to um, planners zeroing in on black neighborhoods and deciding where to put the highway, 
um, those neighborhoods, because of redlining, um, were deemed less valuable and therefore cheapest to build on. And how at the same time, um, white affluent communities that had political connections and more, you know, political clout were able to successfully protest and prevent highways from tearing through their communities. So Fairlawn, for example, um, residents of Fairlawn were able to prevent Interstate 77 from running through their community in the 60s. And this is a story that we've seen um, repeated in, in countless American cities. In 2017, the Ohio State Department of Transportation began to decommission a 30-acre stretch of the highway. And this past September, the city of Akron acquired that land um, the city is, uh, you know, has said that it's, it's committed to launching a public engagement process to seek the input of residents, including those who were directly impacted by the Interbelt's construction, um, as it decides what to do with that land. Um, of course, these kinds of, you know, uh, public engagement processes, like, didn't really happen back then. And so the city is very aware of that and um, has vowed to, um, uh, uh, you know, give people an opportunity to um, express, you know, what's important to them and how they want to see their neighborhoods um, uh, redeveloped. And so the second part of the story delves into what equitable redevelopment of the vacated stretch of highway could look like by pointing to models and examples in other parts of the country, um, notably the 11th Street Bridge Park in uh, D.C., in addition to the main story, we've also got a sidebar that uh, looks into the impact on black owned businesses, um, particularly along Wooster Avenue, which was the center of uh, one of the centers of, of black commerce in Akron, um, along with North Howard Street. So um, Pastor Greg Harrison actually is uh, um, his own family was uh, displaced um, from Douglas Street because of the Interbelt Highway construction. And before we get into that, I would love to um, just ask Pastor Harrison to introduce himself, um, tell us where you're from, where you grew up, um, and what you do for work. Thank you, Seema. I am Pastor Greg Harrison, a pastor at Antioch Church in Akron. Um, I am a native of Akron, um, born and raised, grew up in Akron, spent a few years away from Akron, but came back to Akron in 1990. I, I told you I pastored the church, Antioch Church. I am a retired Akron police officer, and uh, currently I, wa- I work for the office of the Attorney General, State Attorney General Dave Yost, um, as an urban affairs liaison. Um, and that's a little bit about me. Great. Thank you, Pastor Harrison. So um, as we as we discussed before, your family was displaced from your home on Douglas Street because of the inner belt. Could you walk us through that experience and what you remember about that time and how this impacted um, your family? Well, well um, at that time, I was eight, nine years old when we actually moved. Um, but I remember the preparation for the move at seven. Um, and really I had a school that I could walk to as uh, Grace Elementary School. I walked to that school during from kindergarten until we moved. There was a school that I can walk to. There were people along the school route that uh, knew me, knew my mother, knew what I was supposed to do, what I wasn't supposed to do. Uh, so there was a chain link to the school. Um, you were never alone. Uh, 
I had my grandmother lived on Raymond Street. My, I had an aunt that lived on Rhodes Avenue and an aunt that lived on East Avenue. And so at any given point, if my mom was home or she, if she wasn't home, if she was working, I had a family network that I could actually walk that were in walking distance to where I actually live. I make that point to say that once we moved, we were moved. Uh, my mom uh, moved over to the east side um, and we had no family support system over there. There was no um, connections or connectors. Um, if my mom wasn't home, then we had to switch up and now we're at home alone. Um, there were myself. I have three brothers and one sister. So pretty much until my mother got off of work, um, we it was a self-care system. My school, as I grew up and went to Grace Elementary School, it was a safety. It was security. You know, we, we knew the teachers. We knew other students there. So while the move in and of itself made to some have seemed to be that we were living in a better neighborhood and a better environment, uh, it really shook my sense of security. And we didn't have a say in it. So, you know, for someone going into fourth grade, going from an all black neighborhood to an all white neighborhood, we were the first black family on our street. And so my mom, being a single mother, uh, we were not received with open arms by everyone on the street. So it was pretty traumatic. The move was pretty traumatic. And. My brothers, it was pretty traumatic for them. We were called names that we hadn't heard or we hadn't been called before and uh, got in fights that we otherwise would not have gotten into uh, on Douglas Street. Uh, so we were pretty much moved to what I would consider a foreign land. Wow, that's um, I can't imagine going through all of that and especially at such a young age. And I'm curious, um, the conversations that people were having around you, adults, do you, you know, what, what was it like to make sense of this as a child? Um, um, were there conversations um, among you and adults or you and your peers about what was going on and how you were processing it at the time? Well, I don't want to exactly say I lived in a dictatorship. But I, I came up in an era where uh, children were not permitted in rooms when adults were having those conversations. Um, but I can remember snippets of conversations like what was my mom going to do with all of those children um, way on the other side of town. Uh, at that particular time, she had just gotten her first car. So. Um, you know, the transportation was a challenge um, on Douglas Street. My mom could walk to work. So I, I just remember snippets of conversation, um, mainly about how it would be more difficult to parent where we lived. And Akron at that particular time was not uh, what I can remember. We didn't have a lot of visitors. We didn't have a lot of family coming over or dropping by. Uh, as we would have when we were on Douglas Street. Mm -hmm. 
And I'm curious, you know, when you go back to your old neighborhood today, what do you see and what are some of the longstanding, you know, legacies of of the highway there? How do you see its impacts today? And, and that's a difficult question uh, because we we drive there, you know, and, and I'm speaking of people who are displaced and I'll speak for myself, you know. It had, we have been accustomed to driving past the inner belt or using it, the portion that is still intact without ever thinking about it. But when you pause to think about the destruction, when you pause to think about, like last week, I actually went and stood in the spot where uh, our house was. And so when you actually sit there and think about what was and what what is no longer it really feels like a part of my life have just been erased to so take a look at it now. And then the hurting part is that whatever was the ideal or the goal, understanding now that that was never realized. And so now we're just going to tear it up, reroute it like this never happened is uh, is hurtful. Yeah, and and what um, Pastor Harrison is talking about is, you know, how the Akron Inner Belt never um, connected to Route 8. Um, so I'm, I'm, you know, curious, um, Pastor Harrison, in, in talking with, um, you know, people like yourself and, and other um, people who are in the story, uh, like Bishop Joey Johnson, um, Gordon Keaton, Lovey Moore, um, and others, uh, I learned that because of um, segregated housing policies of the time, the neighborhoods surrounding the inner belt were actually very socioeconomically diverse um, because, you know, black people in Akron, this is this is uh, the case in other parts of the country, too, because they were confined in where they could get housing. You had, um, you know, black doctors and attorneys living alongside uh, working class families. And, you know, I'm hearing that those who were able to afford to get out, you know, of the neighborhood after the the highway came through, after they left, the area became, you know, we we see like pockets of deep racial poverty there. And I'm curious, um, you know, what you remember when you were living there? Um, what was the community like? Uh, I understand there were a lot of black owned businesses in the area as well. So um, just walk us through sort of what that area looked like from a socioeconomic perspective. The the area was thriving. It, it was thriving. It was, you know, corner stores, uh, black-owned corner stores, black-owned barbershops, black-owned beauty shops. Um, and it, it was much like, um, as I remember, if you would take Highland Square today, that was the overall makeup of our community. And I say our community because it was more family um, than community. And I remember you can go to the store and if you uh, did not have money, you know, my mom would send us to the store with a note and she would uh, go up and pay whatever was owed um, when she got paid. So it was that type of thing where we knew people, people knew us, um, the kids that we played with, we played with, and 
you know, whether I was going to my aunt's house um, on East Avenue, on Rhodes Avenue, on Raymond Street, uh, there was always people who knew you and, and knew you by your name or knew enough that they could call your parents. Uh, so it was a thriving community. It wasn't a blighted community. Uh, you know, the Edgewood Homes was there and people had flowers in front of their yards and much like today, people took care of their homes and um, it was a source and a sense of pride in the neighborhood. So, you know, if anyone wants to know what the atmosphere was, you know, it, it was like a Highland Square, uh, but predominantly black families. That's really important context for us to consider because um, you mentioned, you know, it wasn't a blighted neighborhood. Um, but uh, planning policies of the time and, and housing policies of the time uh, referred to areas where communities of color lived um, as, you know, undesirable, hazardous or blighted neighborhoods, despite the quality of the housing stock um, and how, you know, socioeconomically diverse these areas were. Um, and so I think that's really important Um context to consider. Um, the historian Richard Rothstein um, put out a really fantastic book called The Color of Law, A Forgotten History of How Our Government Segregated America. Um, and he points out how um, in the 50s and 60s, terms like slums and blight were tossed around euphemistically to refer to black neighborhoods. Um, and this also made them more vulnerable to um, you know, having highways come through or other kinds of urban renewal projects. Um, I'm curious, um, uh, Pastor Harrison, you know, as, as we discussed earlier, the city is launching this public engagement process to and inviting the public, including people such as yourself, um, to participate in that process. And I'm curious for you, um, how would you like to see that that stretch of highway redeveloped? Um, what are some things that you think the communities surrounding the highway uh, need uh, based on, you know, your experience and, and what you've heard? You know, I applaud any time that the public is asked to weigh in and invited. But but I'm also always cautious to come to a table that has already been prepared. And so when you have uh, a city saying, well, we have some options, okay, for me, the option is to repair the damage. So what, what, whatever your options are, you know, let's look at what was there and let's repair the damage. And, and I know that may seem to be unobtainable or unimaginable to some, but as we look back on what was destroyed, it's unimaginable today to think that that could have happened. So we're, we're talking about a small portion of what has been destroyed. Um, and I think that if the public is going to have some input, let's have some input on building the table first, putting stakeholders at the table and uh, doing a more deeper dive into what it should look like. But I, I, I think it would be a continuation of the travesty to have businesses benefit 
to have private entities or any private entity benefit from what is no longer there. Uh, so I applaud the invitation to have some input. But if the input is only these are our choices, A, B, C, or D, then no, let's let's throw something else in there that's more important. Repair the damage to the African-American community in Akron that was done. And we have some acknowledgments that it was that African-American families and businesses were targeted. Now, we can say that the property values was less property. It was uh, blighted areas, which it was not. But it really is the people had no voice. They had no power uh, to stop what was being done. So you really have devalued the people more so than the property. And let's add some value to people and give them a real opportunity to have some say in what is done there. Repair the damage. You know, one of the more um, powerful anecdotes I have from writing the story, and it's in the story, but um, uh, I spoke with Bishop Joey Johnson about his family's home on 533 Douglas Street. Um, his father purchased the house in uh, in 1956 for $11,000. That's the equivalent of around um, $113,000 today. And uh, it's a long story. You'll find out in the in the story. But essentially, the, the family lost the home. Um, it went into foreclosure. It was sold to a private company in 2017 for for uh, $2,500. And um, that home now uh, it's appraised at around $18,500, which is in line with the average property values in that census tract. Um, and so I'm I'm, I'm curious. Um, you know, we've talked a lot about people who have been displaced, but, you know, there's also a lot of concern about those who stayed, um, either because they were unable to sell their homes. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm curious if you, you know, if, if you've been in touch with, with people who are still in the community and sort of the kinds of issues that they're struggling with currently. Well, you, you struggle with transportation. Um, you struggle with uh, you're unable to sell your home because there's nowhere else to go for you to go. So if I stayed and did not allow my house to be, uh, and I'm going to use this term stolen, and it, by way of you're offered me a price that is, you know, nowhere near the value of my house at that time. So then you build an expressway and you where my street was a thorough street as Douglas was, I lived at 636 Douglas. So there is now a dead end street where there was a thoroughfare to access businesses, to access highways. Well, now people who didn't sell, their homes are on dead end streets and that's where the blight starts. So uh, you built around me, you know, you basically encapsulated us. Um, so you either sold then for half the value or you lost the value over the years. So, again, there are some challenges in those areas and there are safety challenges. Uh, but if you're an older person and kept your home, uh, that's all you have. And you can't afford to live anywhere else today. So, so it's 
you, you know, it just caught people in, in a real difficult situation. And, and that expressway is the rock and a hard place, stuck between a rock and a hard place. Pastor, I was just a little curious. I'll, I'll weigh in here. And I, you know, you, you kind of had the unique perspective of probably as a police officer, literally driving every street in Akron. I mean, yeah. you know, you probably touch every neighborhood. You you think what happened, as we, and even as a pastor, the result of this kind of set the seeds of, I don't want to say division, but but just maybe a lack of trust, in, in you know, and, and we kind of saw it boil over during the Black Lives Matter protests. I mean, you, you think this was kind of sown among other things in the city that, that this kind of, you know, created a generation of, of maybe folks who, who just don't trust City Hall or, or, or don't trust ODOT or, or, you know, whatever hat you want them to wear. I mean, did, did you notice that in your patrols or just kind of? I, I, I think that's a general consensus, and and I don't want to limit that to Akron. Uh, I worked in Cleveland. I started my law enforcement career in Cleveland. Uh, but, yes, there, there is a distrust. Um, and when we mentioned Black Lives Matter, there are some people who look at that as simply a police community issue. You know, no, it is not, you know, simply a police community issue. It is a governmental structure against communities of color. And so when, when I hear Black Lives Matter, I hear that not only in the sense of policing, but I hear that in the sense of housing. I hear that in the sense of employment opportunities, in the sense of, you know, the interbelt indirectly caused eight schools, eight predominantly African-American schools to shut down. So when we're making decisions, black lives matter. You can't say we have mapped this route out and these are areas of the city that uh, we feel that will do less economic damage. Black Lives Matter means that every decision that is made, we matter too. You know, um, so yeah, it, 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 it did create a divide. There is a mistrust. And even when we say we're going to sit down and uh, hear from the public as to what should be done with this track of land, there is a distrust <laughs> because you've you've told us before that our lives would improve, and you know it hasn't. And just to just to clarify, um, Pastor Harrison, your family was renting on Douglas Street, right? I believe so. Yes. Okay. Okay. Um, I understand. You know the experiences of renters and homeowners were were different. Um, um, though, you know, both plagued um, with numerous difficulties. Is there anything else that we haven't asked you today that you would like to share with our audience? Um, I, I just think it, it, it's important for everyone who grew up in Akron to imagine this same scenario happening to you and your neighborhood and your school and being moved away from your family. You know, I think sometimes we get desensitized and we hear people, oh, they're always complaining. They're always, you know, nothing is ever good enough. Well, this is a situation uh, that I think everyone, you know, if you lived in North Hill, if you lived in Kimmore, 
if you lived in Firestone Park. These are areas of the city where there are long-standing roots of people and of families. And I just want, my ask would be that everyone will put themselves in a situation. If all of that was taken from you, uh, how would you feel? And then as an adult, now that everything that was taken from you is now just an empty space and other people are making decisions on what to do with it. Well, thank you. And, you know, Seema, I, I want to say, you know, thank you for, for this reporting because, and, you know, Pastor, because a person like me, it's kind of erasing history. You know, I mean, you have Craig only been at the Beacon 22 years, no clue what was there before driving back and forth and complaining on my way to a CYO basketball game. I mean, I had no idea that I was driving through once a thriving neighborhood. I just, you know, drive my car <laughs> point A to point B and, and just see trees and emptiness and kind of an ugly highway. And it really have no idea of the history. And, and it really ripped the fabric of this community. I mean, it, it really was. And so the, these stories are important. And it's important that, that someone stands up and tells them. And I, I applaud both of you. And, and thank you for, for joining us today. All right. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. Well, we've done it again. We've got ourselves to the end of another podcast. That's all we have today for the Now You Know Akron podcast. Be sure to join us again next week. Episodes are released every Wednesday or thereabouts, wherever you download your favorite podcast. They're also available on BeaconJournal.com and all our various apps. Before we go, I have to thank our producer, BJ Lisco who uh, tries to clean up our mistakes and make us sound great. And we urge you to support local journalism by becoming a subscriber. If you've already signed up, well, you know the routine. You have my heartfelt thanks. Until next week, now you know Akron. Mm-hmm.